the hills are alive with the sound of checks notes beatings lots of beatings welcome back to motorsport 101 Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 453 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and welcome to Formula One's 2023 Austrian Grand Prix. It was amazing. I think this was genuinely the best Formula One weekend we've had so far this year. I think I came away from this weekend actually enjoying what we got, which is already a step in the right direction. Um although we did have to wait quite a while before we actually got the final result, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, first of all, we've got, to, we've got to talk to our esteemed panel. First up, uh, RJ O'Connell, and his beige flag is that he actually likes the McLaren Silverstone livery. Uh, yeah, I I actually think it's not terrible. Um, I, I, here, and here's a provocative hot take. I understand that the Vodafone cars are the last memory that anybody has of McLaren being a truly great team in Formula One, capable of fighting for wins and championships on a regular basis. That look hasn't aged good. I'm sorry. I'm glad they didn't throw it all the way back to that 100% with their full chest. Are, are, do you, have, you have every right to be mad that McLaren doesn't put their whole ass behind a lot of their throwback liveries unless it's the IndyCar operation, but right. this one, actually, okay. As a one-off, I like it. I, I was in the camp of I was thoroughly whelmed. I thought it was fine. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I think it was just fine. Like, I think it's fine. I think it would have been better if they dropped the papaya for the round, but as Zach quite rightly said, um, or quite rightly, I want to say quite rightly, what, what I really want to say about Zach Brown is that we're trying to have papaya be our iconic brand colors, which my response is, McLaren doesn't have one. <laughs> McLaren's had about five different generations of quote-unquote, iconic liveries. And I argue, if you have five iconic liveries, you have none. <laughs> That's my general take. But I want to get the esteemed opinion of our other guest. And yes, I get to dust off the Lord of the Rings picture on Twitter again, because welcoming back, uh, I've Jalopnik writer and friend, Mr. Ryan Eric King. Hello, King. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm glad that I was uh, called back when when my opinions was needed on on a certain livery of a certain era. <laughs> our, our able historian, Ryan Eric King, so we can get the official King perspective. So, King, hit me with it. Uh, it's, it delivery is fine, but it's not a throwback. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you at least. I'm glad that point was at least acknowledged. Like they're calling it a Chrome throwback. Throwback to what? <laughs> it's a throwback to this weekend at the British Grand Prix. And also, um, to your point about dusting off the Return of the King gif on Twitter, um, the chances are by the time you're <laughs> listening to this, hopefully uh, most of our followers here um, at motorsport underscore 101 will be rate limited. So they can't see it anyway. Uh, you, you make a very good point. Like, you know, the way um, our gratuitous Twitter overlord is getting down, um, allegedly he's forgotten to pay the bills to Google, and that is a bit of a problem. So uh, there is a good chance you won't be able to see said tweet. But, hey, 
hit the refresh button and roll the dice. You never know. It might it might load up on your page by the time it happens. I love the, the audacity fact. the audacity of this of this terminally online loser telling everybody, "Oh, just go outside and stop refreshing this app." Your whole app source of revenue depends on people engaging in doom scrolling on your app for hours at a time. I would know. But enough, about, but enough about rate limits. Also- but enough about track limits. It's about no limits. <laughs> we went from Twitter to TNA's X division in the space of a sentence. That is, that is, we're digging deep into the 2000s references, eh, King? Yeah, we, we wouldn't have to be worrying about limits of, you know, Elon just paid Google, because then McLaren would have had enough Chrome paint. I thought as the richest man in the world, and after dropping $44 billion on a social media app, I thought there'd be an, enough left in the coffers to make sure that your cloud service at Google would be adequately covered. And yet, here we are. <laughs> no, because, no, because paying the bills to your cloud suppliers is too woke for him. <laughs> oh, clearly. So uh, we will we will see you on the official M101 Mastodon page at. Uh, no, I'm, j- I'm joking. Oh my anyone, anyone got Blue Sky apps? Because uh, because sometimes the devil you do know, Jack Dorsey, who sucks in his own <laughs> way, is sometimes better than the devil you also know and is outwardly worse in some regards. I don't know. SNS services are bullshit, but you know what's not bullshit is Formula One in Austria, except except in the times when it is. Yeah, like, again, this was a good one. I think this was a, a, a good all-round weekend. I think this was a good Grand Prix. I think Can we had see the, the best Formula 1 sprint we've ever had? I think so. I think yeah. that was an I think that was an excellent sprint. I think that was an outstanding sprint race. I think that was I think a lot of people still hold up Lewis Hamilton's comeback as the gold standard from Brazil, but that is such an outlier to me. I barely count it. This was a proper sprint. And it turns out all we needed to do was just add just enough rain to make it changeable and bring an element of strategy into play, and all hell broke loose. <laughs> Also, beware of flying Checos. That, that, that is also something you're going to be very careful of these days. But uh, we, we, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about Red Bull. Um, I like to call it using strategy to flip the bird. You'll see what I mean about that later. Um, we'll talk a little bit about... Oh, God, it's track limits again. Oh, God almighty. Again, God. it's God. not about track limits. It's about no limits. <laughs> Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to play the gif of Elit Skipper doing the hurricane run off the side of the cage again. <laughs> it never gets old, even nearly 20 years on. Uh, God, I feel old. Um, let's say we'll talk about that after. And again, I'm checking my notes here. 1,200 reviewable incidents. I'm not making any of this up. That was a real thing that Race Control put out there into the world. So we'll talk a bit about that and track limits in Austria. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about what the hell is going on at AlphaTauri, because a lot has come out about that team in the last week or so. Turns out this is going to be the last season we're going to be calling them that. And there's a lot of talk that Nick DeFree's days are very, very much numbered. So we'll get into some of that later on in the show. But places you can find us real quick, we are on motorsport101.com. That is our official website. If you want some bonus thoughts about this race and IndyCar in our next episode, IndyCar at Mid-Ohio, they'll be up on the website by the time this goes out. You can follow the the podcast itself on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 if your rates are not limited. If you want to follow our personal handles, you can at Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ. Cordell, and you can follow Ryan Eric King at wait for it 
Ryan Eric King. It's, it's easy. It rolls right off the tongue. Um, you can check all this out there. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of these episodes. Um live as they're being recorded as well if you want to, if you want to get into the 10 buck level as well as our supporters club on discord shout out to zoe and jason who are listening in with us right now i hope you guys enjoyed the show chip in as jason says recently quote as m101 stats department i'd like to note that zach brown will not receive a chrome cock to join his palette of colorful m101 awards <laughs> oh I, how deeply regretting like uh, <laughs> all, like to be fair gold is a genuinely iconic color for an award unlike the papaya that Zach Brown claims McLaren is. But I appreciate the sentiment, Jason, very much so. Thanks for listening in, buddy. So after this, let's get into 2023's Austrian Grand Prix. So Red Bull are on the verge of some supreme history. This was their 10th consecutive win. Only one off. I think it's I think it's one shy king of the all time record of eleven now. I think McLaren has that. One uh one shy of tying the record. Yes. Yeah. Ele- yeah, they had eleven. I think it was eighty-eight they had that. And the uh fifth win in a row for Max Verstappen, who dominated yet again with pole, sprint shootout pole, the sprint win, the Grand Prix win, and the fastest lap of the race for a maximum thirty-four points on the weekend. And with it, he passes Ayrton Senna. He's now officially in the top five most winningest drivers of all time in that five spot with 42 career wins. But there, but he is also washed because his consecutive laps led streak, which dated all the way back to Miami, ended at 248 consecutive laps led. Clearly, oh, he's lost his touch. He, sh- he should just retire at 20 sits before he completely falls off the cliff. <laughs> he just doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, for, for the record, that is that was the third longest consecutive laps-led streak of all time. The only two with more was uh, Etten Senna. Back in uh, nine, back in I think it was 1988. I want to say that was yep, yeah, 1988 from Britain to Italy. Yeah, 268 laps led, and the all-time record of, of Alberto Ascari, who led 304 uh, back in 1952 from Belgium through to the Netherlands. Shout out to Josh Wilcock who told me on Twitter. Important to note that 18 of Ascari's laps were the entire German Grand Prix at the Nurburgring. That's that's, that's a cool factoid there for you. But in particularly eyebrow-raising fashion, Max won on a free-stopper, bolting on a pair of soft tires on the penultimate lap, barely in front of Charles Leclerc in second, en route to that fastest lap. What did you make of Red Bull's audacious strategy? Man, they were they were, they were were like, what, three points away from a perfect weekend with Sergio Perez only finishing third in the, in the, uh, in the Grand Prix itself? Yeah, so well, and one point, yeah, because Perez was second in the sprint. So yeah, you're right. He only dropped three points the whole weekend. Wow, just <laughs> I know if Cam Buckley were here right now, he would be ready to just talk about how this was a, the ultimate flesh for Red Bull at their home race. By the way, oh yeah, very much so. Uh, perfect, perfect weekend. You don't you don't pit the lead driver to go for a fastest lap bonus unless you are absolutely confident that this dude is going to just. Run away with the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, like I like when we we were watching this at the time. I saw Cam hit up on Twitter a picture of of the win, and it was a quote of it was a quote straight from the original Iron Man movie. 
where he goes, this was just a this was just a crude first effort. Red Bull has perfected its design. It has made a masterpiece of death. Um, that, that was a pretty fitting way to describe it. I mean, King, we were watching this at the time, and we couldn't believe the audacity of Red Bull even trying this, knowing they had a 24-second lead in hand already. Oh, it was just absurd. Just uh, a flex. They did it because they could. They did it because <laughs> they could. I, I, I need to stress this, right? In, in the scenario of the race, you lose about 20 seconds for a green flag pit stop in Austria. They had a 24-second lead. Um, Max talked about going for fastest lap. He knew what the gap was to the car behind him. He was trying to talk Horn around on it um, because Red Bull initially said, well, we don't need. To, we don't think it's a risk worth taking. Max talks him into it. And uh, according to Christian Horner after the race, he said that um, it was a risk versus reward kind of scenario. We felt like it was better to box him and put a new set of tires on him because we, they, like, he kind of knew that Max would go for it anyway. <laughs> so he was like, well, if you're going to go for it, fine. You're just, you're just going to put a, a new set of tires on you. He only came out a couple of seconds in front of Charles. Like, and I, somebody pointed out on Twitter, I think it was C for Crutch um, on Twitter. Shout out to him for pointing this out to me. He was weaving, coming out of the pit lane to warm his new soft tires up with Charles Leclerc two seconds behind him down the road, thinking, wait, is that Verstappen's car? Um, this, this was ridiculous. This was just completely audacious it's worth pointing out as well do you know who had the fastest lap at the time of this at the time of this point in the race Checo um, yeah it, it was Checo Checo had the fastest lap because he put medium tires on at the end of the race no, so no, he, he was on the hards actually so take that back he was on the hard tire on the end of the race and he was trying to get past Carlos Sainz when he came out of his final pit stop and Checo had the fastest lap of the race. So Red Bull were not doing this to make any sort of net gain. They already had all the points on the table as it is. They genuinely risked the win just so Max could get fastest lap on a free stopper. Are you fucking kidding me? Dude, it's crazy. It's crazy. After after Sergio Perez missed Q2 again for the Grand Prix itself, we're thinking, mm. oh, God, it's going to be another one of those awful Sergio Perez weekends. He ends, up, like, he ends up doing his job when they actually pay points. Yeah, like, because he missed Q3 for the fourth race weekend in a row. Um Fun fact, Nico Hulkenberg has now made Q3 more frequently this season than Sergio Perez has. I want to talk about the sprint because I did actually get to see mm. more of that. Nico Hulkenberg holding on to second place. We we're just thinking, is this the day? <laughs> and then and then he blew out his tires and like, no, not even a split in a sprint. It's not his day. But I will say this. The three points that he picked up in the sprint are huge. Massive. Because with those three points. Haas has now leapfrogged, leapt ahead of Alfa Romeo in the World Constructors Championship. They are now seventh with 11 points. And boy, those McLaren upgrades really came good because Lando Norris finishing in fourth. We'll talk about some of the reasons how 
has put them 18 points clear of Haas and Alfa Romeo and Williams at Alfatari. That is crazy. I, I love that Jason in the chat described it as, quote, Nico Polar Bear in Arlington, Texas, Hulkenberg, which I think is pretty much on the nose. That yeah. has eat, that has eats its tires for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And oh I, I wonder how much of that ballsy call to change for Hulkenberg to change onto the slick tires at the end of the sprint was partly to do with a strategy call and partly because the intermediates had no grip by then anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was like this was like what was that MotoGP race where it, it dried out and then it like rained really really late in the race. I want to say Brad it was Brad Brinder, it, Brad Brinder yeah. winning at slicks and everybody's losing their fucking shit. Yeah, I, I want to say it was 2019. Um, where it was, it was like 2019, 2020, where Brad Binder, like, with because it, it rained hard with six laps to go. Everybody comes in on a flag to flag to change for their backup bike, and Brad Binder stayed out on slicks and barely won by a nose. Um, I think King exploded that day. Yeah, um, no, it was 2021. 20, that was that was only two years ago. Wow. <laughs> Time, Time is fake. Time is time is vague. Let me tell you, that is uh that oof, that that that's that's working me up a bit there. Damn, um, but yeah, well, I think Hulk was one of the first guys to switch in the chat, Jason. I'm very much with you on that one. Um, I think it was between him and I want to say Alex Albon. There were like two of the I think, no, I think George Russell was the first one to actually gamble. Yeah, on, and it on, paid on off too. Yeah, got back in the points after Mercedes were just weird all weekend very very weird um but yeah like for me red bull winning on a free stopper it was i used a reference and talking about it in my race review on on the website right compared it to and if you haven't seen john boys's incredible work for secret base you really should um his episode of pretty good on the philadelphia eagles where buddy ryan uses play calling to humiliate the Dallas Cowboys when the game's already won and he asks Randall Cunningham to fake a knee and then throw a deep ball <laughs> down the field basically to say fuck you to the Cowboys for basically being you know awful during the NFL strike of, of 87 and yeah. um, you know, towing players off the picket line um, you know just basically using play calling to say fuck you basically and that's kind of what this race felt like to me i was like this is this is humiliating i can't believe they just friggin done that that was that was just oh like they they had no reason to do this just besides getting max one extra point and some people out there genuinely think max doesn't care about racing my man was prepared to gamble a win for one extra point and put his entire racing all he cares about is racing. This was a common critique a couple of years ago that he doesn't care about the outside world around him. My man is serious about his racing. He's a very he's somewhat introverted about it, but you know he cares about his racing. That's why it's important for him to achieve all these accolades and put this championship to bed by the time we get to his home race in Zandvoort, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Let's be real. Not at all. Not at all. And. Like speaking of Verstappen quickly as well, King. I know you talked about it a little bit in our Discord server when you you've seen some of the chat about dominance, right? We were like, I know Lewis Hamilton 
um, made this point that, hey, maybe we should curb card development and stop teams from, from developing their, their their future cars so soon uh, to try and rein the field in a bit. And my favorite part of this, by the way, was on Hamilton. I'm not talking about anyone in particular, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was cute. Um, but what did you make of Hamilton's comments, King? Because I know you're you've got a very strong political mind when it comes to how formula one gets down about these sorts of things well when it comes to the like i like the sentiment from hamilton where where formula one is an engineering contest it is a race between (laughs) two factory trying to build the best f1 car possible and it's kind of a bit unfair if one team could start that race before someone else but <laughs> how would you even enforce that? Like, yes, you right. can put the deadline on paper, but how do you enforce that? Because that, that was my first thought when I first heard that, because I was like, so if I develop a new front wing and I slap it on the car, like, is that an upgrade for this year's car or next year's car? Because, like, h- how could you differentiate the difference? Like, I, I don't even like it's it's unenforceable to me because like how are you are you going to go to a factory and say well how do we know what you're doing right now is for this year's car and how do we know it's not for the next year's car because developing next year's car while the current season is going on is a huge part of what makes Formula One what it is yeah <laughs> like the, these big moves often are months sometimes years in advance I mean. And let's be real here. We're talking about Lewis Hamilton, the man who was convinced to, to join Mercedes in the first place because their hybrids have been in development since 2011. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Like, I have no problem with that. Like, that is a part of the game. We knew what the regulation change was going to be in 2014. We knew about the move to hybrid power units. And Nicky Lauda was able to talk Hamilton into saying, hey, look, if you stick it out for a couple of years, we will give you a winner. And, he, and bless him, he was right. <laughs> you know, that that's a part of the game, you know? Like, I love that Jason says, we should curb the development, says the man who had multiple titles when the Mercedes had the God car. Yeah, like, it's easy to call Lewis a hypocrite. And, you know, the man that won 79 Grand Prix in his first eight seasons in the hybrids. <laughs> I did the maths on that. I was like, yeah, he he, he, ha- he basically won 10 races a year for eight years straight. Um, like, it, it is funny how, like, like call, call it what it is. It's it's politicians politicking. And that's how the game works in F1. And if anybody thinks it doesn't go that way, they're they're lying to themselves. Like that's that's how I look at it personally. All but of that would be proud of this backstage politicking. So, oh, oh, oh yeah, sledgehammers and hot wife and all, um, without question. Now, let's talk a little bit about the big other talking point that came out of Austria this weekend. And for some reason, it comes out of Austria almost every year. Track limits violations. Everybody's favorite subject, right? Right. Like, oh, show some enthusiasm man. in the room, everybody. Come on now. Yay. Esteban Ocon now has a distinguished <laughs> Formula One record for the most for the most formal penalties handed down in a race, breaking the two-way tie between himself and Pastor Maldonado. 
the first man in F1 history to have four sporting penalties in one race. 35 seconds worth of time penalties. We'll explain how we got to this point in just a minute, but this was another Grand Prix where Austria's track limits debacle reared its ugly head. After the race was over, and Aston Martin sporting director Andy Stevenson lodged a formal protest against the result, suspecting the FIA had missed some track limits violations at turns 9 and 10 that had not been factored into the actual result. Big Randall vibes. <laughs> big, big Randall Weems vibes out of recess. But however, he was right. The protest was upheld, and because the FIA's monitoring system regarding this was and I'm using their own term here, overwhelmed by uh, by the amount of potential incidents, the stewards had to go back and manually review all, and I can't believe I'm saying this, 1,200 incidents that had to be manually checked with, and, th- and let's not forget, this is already a Grand Prix that had eight penalties handed out for track limits warnings over the course of the race. Two of them, by the way, were level two track limit warnings, which were 10 seconds higher penalties because Sonoda and Gasly had gone over seven times each. Just just, just to put it into perspective, we already had eight penalties. There were 12 more added, <laughs> making a grand total of 20. <laughs> Almost like, like literally one per driver on average over the course of the race, and 14 out of the 19 drivers finishing in, in diff- finished in different spots compared to where they finished on the road. Just not the top three. Yeah, just not the top three. Um, does something need to change with track limits in Austria? This one's tough. Uh, because there are genuinely parts of Austria where the track limits are as clear-cut as old heads of the sport would like them to be. But the problem spots are not those areas of the track. The problem spots are turn three, that's the big hairpin at the top, uh, where you can just run as wide as you like off the off the exit. And that, that's famously the spot of uh, Verstappen and Leclerc coming together. And I had to go to the store for several hours to figure out if the race results were going to change or not. And they didn't. And then, of course, it's turn nine and ten. These are fast right hand corners where you need to carry as much speed as possible. And sometimes that means you go over the uh, you go out of bounds in that attempt to maintain that speed. Um. I think a lot of people have brought back the call to restore more natural runoff solutions. And for four wheel racing, I get it. You know, I, I'm not, I personally, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, putting gravel traps everywhere is overrated. You know, I don't like seeing undamaged cars have to retire because they got stuck in like an inch worth of gravel. I think that's weak shit. Um, I don't like that cars can get torn up if they skip over that sort of runoff the wrong way. See Simon Pagano, Mid Ohio. Um, but so a lot of these tracks have to share space with another form of racing, and that's motorcycles. And there, what's safer for them is sometimes different from what's safer for a four-wheel racing driver in a car, in a closed or open or partially closed cockpit? 
Yeah, um, it's something that I had to try and make the point on Twitter about a couple of times over because a lot of people only watch Formula One or they only watch four wheeled variants of motorsport, and that's completely fine. However, you however you get down is how you get down, but a lot of people do not realize that, and we talked about it a minute ago, that the Red Bull Ring shares its facilities with MotoGP. It's one. It's it's hosted many a MotoGP race in the last half decade or so. And Austria's been criticized from a biking standpoint in terms of safety for quite some time already, especially when it rains because of the lack of runoff in certain areas. And of course, that whopper of an incident between Frankie Morbidelli and Johan Zarco a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, the one it, that almost took out Valentino Rossi as collateral, like took yeah. him out of this plane of existence so we wouldn't have Valentino Rossi's sports car racing art. And that's why they they put in a, a slow chicane mm-hmm. up where up where um, up out of turn one to where turn three is because turn two is not a corner in cars but is definitely a corner on motorcycles. Right, right, and that's something that you that you've got to factor in. So just having a even a strip of gravel around the outside of turns nine and ten could be very dangerous for bikes because what people don't realize is that gravel tends to flip bikes over and it tends to flip riders over when they hit that patch at speed and when you're flipping people over a lot you have a much greater risk of injury like that's why a lot more modern day tracks have asphalt runoffs because they facilitate slides and slides generally speaking outside of the annoyance of the occasional friction burn um generally speaking it's safer that way yeah but I mean, King, like, I want to talk to you about this because, again, you you know the FIA better than almost anybody I know. Um, what did you make of the procedural side of all this? Because this was a hot mess. <laughs> well, like, this level of close observance wasn't possible a couple of years ago. Like, thanks to the new remote operations center in Geneva, Switzerland, there is a dedicated team who can record and observe every single time someone goes off. The thing is, they have to do it manually because not not every portion of the track has automated sensors. And they I, I don't think anyone at the FIA thought that as many people were going to leave the track as they did. 1,200 times. And I love that when the stewards released their final statement, on on it they said look we tried to give the drivers the benefit of the doubt and i need to point out as well they took discretion on that second set of penalties they reset the count after five uh after five incidences where a lap was deleted for track limits it's as i mentioned earlier when sonoda and gasly got punished during the race for the second time and they got 10 seconds that was for seven they cut it down to five and then after the fifth time, they said they reset the count to zero to start again. Despite that, Esteban Ocon still got four penalties. <laughs> oh my god! That's why. That's why I keep telling everybody he's the most underrated driver in that paddock. <laughs> Have you ever seen a race where a guy has picked up thirty-five seconds worth of time penalties? Because he got five as well for an unsafe release out of the pits too. 
I've seen it happen, but not for track limits violations. Usually that's the kind of stuff you see for like, oh, there's avoidable contact that happens late in the race, but it's too late to give them a drive through penalty. So we're going to tack it on as a time penalty at the end of the race. Right. Yeah. 83 laps were deleted over the course of that race. And can I just say, like, I, I know that it's annoying when... You know, you have the results and then they change hours after the checkered flag. Last weekend, the the six hours of Watkins Glen and IMSA had its result overturned because of a technical <laughs> infringement. And a MotoGP at Aston, Brad Binder had this happen to him twice. This is not a new phenomenon in the world of motorsport. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get like, it does make drivers look silly. I know Master Sappen said it makes them look amateurish, but yeah, at the same time, I I also can't help but think, you know, these cars are planted. You're some of the you're 20 of the most skilled drivers. That's what your sport advertises that you are. It feels like it should be easy to stay within the white lines. Do you want to know that I want to play a game? There were only two drivers that didn't get a single track limits lap deleted over the course of the entire weekend. You know which two they were? Uh, Joe Guan Yu was one. Joe Guan Yu was one, yeah, because he, he kind of made it, he kind of alluded to that um, on, on social media um, because he ended up getting bumped up to 12th after all the extra penalties were added on. <laughs> was the other one Matt's? No, it was George Russell. Wow. I was told it was George Russell um, was the was, was the only other guy. Um, so, yeah, like only two guys went the in, in, entire weekend without without a violation. Because remember, Max didn't qualify. Um, he in in Friday's qualifying, he lost a lap in uh, in 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 Q one for for track limits, and he got mad about that. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, it, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that the top five after the final result was all said and done were all people that didn't get a penalty for for track limits violations yeah. because they are, they know where the line is. And don't get me wrong, for drivers, it's I know it's not easy given the limited visibility you get out of the top of a racing car and the yeah. lack of... Like, you, Absolutely. You, it's, yeah. it's, it's easy for us to say because right. we're not professional racing drivers. We've never had to push at 10 tenths for like 90 minutes for 22 weeks a year right and like one that's that's absolutely worth pointing out and two i think it was yuki sonoda who after the race he said that you know he would like to have a raised curb instead because it would be easier for him to feel where that limit is yeah. um and that's you know you've got to be a bit careful with that because you know it reminds me a lot of the sausage curb era but when we and you know i think a lot of people would rather see them go then um then um stay up i found the quote and he actually came out with in the said he said quote i think curbs are easier at least with curbs you you feel first from the outside wheel with the vibration that it's track limits with the white line you don't feel any vibration you just have to adjust it from entry at least if you have a curb there's a bit of warning just before you go out completely with four wheels so curb is probably easier is what Yuki said in response um, to ask it about it. Because I know on the other end of the scale, Max Verstappen was like, you take my car and try it when he was asked about it on Friday, which um, for a man that's dominating the championship, you would never have guessed given how flustered he was at the entire concept of track limits. But um, 
Like, King, is is it really as simple a solution as just don't drive over the line? Are we, are we being too generous here towards the drivers? I mean, like, King, you might want to turn your microphone up, by the way, mate. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to be that guy. I, I like, I'm just yeah. Yeah. like, it, it. It's hard to come up with a straightforward solution because one, it is possible two drivers didn't go over the line. With <laughs> like, what what point do you get to where you say maybe it's the system? Because it feels like this was close to that point. Even though I I could be ruthless and say, well, just don't drive over the line. Well, clearly, look, if we're giving the drivers every benefit of the doubt, and I generally don't do that, when almost everybody has gotten a warning or a lap deleted over the course of the weekend, it feels like it might be a bit much. I'm, I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Like, at what point does it become unfair? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I don't want sausage curbs back because I know Austria had them for a little while and I know the dangers they have caused and the injuries they have created over the years. Yeah, to be clear, like, I feel like, I feel like we're in past where you got to like, maybe the best solution is one that doesn't exist right now because like, Again, I'm not huge on like just going straight back to grass and gravel runoff every single place. Um, sausage curbs that turn cars into launching ramps are right. dangerous and unnecessary, a compromise. Um, you can't do like the like the chewy stuff that they have at Paul Ricard everywhere. Right. Like, like you can't. It's like a it's like a non factor. It's like a non starter for bikes. Bikes. Absolutely. Um, so. I don't know what the best way of it is, but I also feel like, you know, maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we're not there yet. I I mean, I think part of the problem here as well is that we as as an audience, we wanted more consistent track limits. I remember, I I remember back in like, this wasn't that long ago. I remember when Charlie Whiting, God rest his soul, was race director and track limits were treated largely with the gentle touch. It was, okay, if this guy runs off three or four times, Charlie might get on the blower and say, look, can, can, you, can you tone it down a bit? And that was generally the end of the matter. Um, but we we as fans complain more and more about track limits and, and consistency in the officiating. And that's, I remember, I remember Bahrain in 2021. Remember that round where Hamilton took, turn four and extended like 20 20 something times and then when they told verstappen down the radio i'll oh, take the qualifying line because they're, they're, they're not they're not docking you for it and then it was michael massey that had to get on the phone and say okay this is getting ridiculous now could you please stop <laughs> like why would michael massey do that etc why would michael massey do that and we wanted more consistent officiating with this we got it and now it's another case of, well, no, not like that. Um, so I I don't think there is necessarily an easy solution to this. Um, it's, you know, racing drivers are paid to explore the limits. They are going to take liberties. And, and, and I don't, I, I, I agree with you, RJ. I don't think just slapping gravel everywhere is going to solve the problem. And I don't think the punishment for doing so fits the crime. Um 
So maybe the sport eases up a little bit on that line just for Austria because like I've driven that. I've driven those two corners in many a racing game and, and, and many a sim, and they are so inviting to run the extra track for. It's 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 so tantalizing to do so because it's it's such a sweeping set of corners and uh, I don't know. It's 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 a messy one, but I don't think it should come down to Austria to solve the problem because I know the FIA apparently suggested to them, and this was in Autosport today, that the FIA suggested to put, to put gravel traps there. And Red Bull were like, no, we're not doing that. Um, so there's clearly some dissension in those ranks. If you've got a solution, feel free to get in touch because uh, I'm struggling on this one. And, you know, personally, I don't think it should come down to Austria to solve the problem when it's an F1 issue and how the drivers get down. That's my personal opinion on the matter. So uh, good luck to you sorting that one out. But uh, w- one more time, Esteban Ocon. Four penalties in a race. Wow. What, 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 a, what, a, what a time to be alive. And a Grand Prix uh, winner for all time. Speaking of Red Bull-owned teams, um, it's been some very interesting times out of the team in Fianza uh, because, uh, well, first of all, Helmut Marco has gone on the record saying that AlphaTauri will not be racing as AlphaTauri next year. Um, and then there was dissents about between Christian Horner and Helmut Marco over who actually wanted Nick DeVries to take that job at AlphaTauri this past season. Mm. Uh, There's reports coming out of the paddock that DeVries has just a few rounds left to save his job at AlphaTauri. So probably about to the mid-season point is how long he has. Liam Lawson, who is leading the championship in Super Formula as a rookie, is at the front of the queue to replace him and the team. And, you know, they're going to drop the fashion line name. Alex Pillow and his management are also sniffing around for seats. Dre, it is interesting times out of the team that I love or their successor, successor, successor. Mm. Uh, I was also going to ask you first because you're the Minardi man, and I know how much Minardi means to you as a fan. Well, I mean, it's it, Manny will say this is this is fundamentally not the same team. They operate on the same no. base, but it's different with Red Bull money. Dude, it's so crazy because like. Unlike some people, I will never fault AlphaTauri for wanting to take a chance on a driver that was not one of their own system. They did it with Brendan Hartley before, and they've done it with Nick DeVries now. Unfortunately, Nick DeVries is already going through the Brendan Hartley cycle, and he may not even get to finish out the season for all of his efforts. But I'll guarantee you that the next place he does end up, we will be like, ah, see, he was just a talent that Formula One just overlooked the whole time. So... The thing about next year is, like, Yuki Tsunoda, to me, has done more than enough to save his job, even if the points are not there. I know the ultimatum was he's got to score points more consistently. This AlphaTauri is a dog. It is an absolute dog. And the fact that Yuki has squeezed out two points out of this thing, he's pound profound one of the top five drivers in the sport, in my opinion. I think he should stay. I would say that if an opportunity is there to promote Liam Lawson, you do it because he's done everything you want, everything you can ask for out of a rebel junior team driver at every step of the way. He's wanted everything that he's stepped foot in. He is perfectly adaptable and make a fine replacement. I just don't know if you do it right now because like Liam Lawson is 
also in the midst of a championship fight. Like, he could be the first rookie champion in Super Formula in 27 years to close the deal. Like, do you want to pull him out of a title fight that soon because you're that desperate to get Nick DeVries out of the car? Probably not. But then who else is available? Daniel Ricardo, maybe? Does he want to go back to AlphaTauri? Does he need to go back to AlphaTauri? I know he's desperate to want to get back in the seat cockpit. I don't know if this is I don't know if this is what he needs. This age 34 season after a year on the sidelines. Unless he's like that desperate to prove that he hasn't lost his touch. I was going to say, like, King, King, you're, you're, you're a management guy. How, how would you feel? How, how would you play it if you're Franz Toss, given this is last year in the job anyways it is? <laughs> uh, I'd say just let it play out. Just play out the season. Whatever happens, happens. Because you don't really have, you know, an immediate replacement for Nick DeVries. Not this yeah. year. No, no. This is tricky for me, right? Because if you want a placeholder for half a year, I think you're better off going Daniel Ricardo. Ricardo is clearly desperate to come back because I remember this time last year, he was turning down seats. He like Haas offered him a job, he said no. Williams offered him a job, he said no. Yeah. He like if you take him at his word, he cited burnout. And, you know, if I haven't really got a reason not to believe him on that, but I also think he is very cleverly doing things to keep himself in the public eye. Um, the grandstand to- on ESPN two with Will Arnett, <laughs> that guy, that that guy from Horsing Around, etc. Um, but you know, doing that, going to the Met Gala, being on Stephen Colbert—he is one of the most market marketable talents that F one has had in recent years. Like he clearly has a level of buzz off the back of F1's shot in the arm in, in, in the mainstream, at least in the in the last year and a half, two years or so. That dude owes a lot of his mainstream success to Drive Survive. Not he's not as much of a mainstream icon as Lewis Hamilton. Oh no. Or Master Sapper, but he is he is high up on the list and he doesn't even drive in the sport this year. Yeah, like in I remember when me like uh, King was there in person, but we I, I was on WTF1's Twitch channel watching the live stream. The buzz in the room was for Ricardo. Like like people like people were excited for Ricardo. When I was streaming the event, people on the chat were most intrigued about what Ricardo had to say. I don't know how much of that was just boredom and delirium, given how long they had to wait to actually see the car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how much of that was genuine, but um, it like. How many events do you see the third driver get full blown several minutes of interview time? Oh, don't all rush in at once, people. Because uh, I, I remember I, I sat there for many a car launch. I promise you, Fio Porcher didn't get that amount of screen time. I promise you. Um, so uh, yeah, I, like R- Ricardo is different, and I, I think Red Bull made a very shrewd move in making Ricardo like Red Bull's reserve driver in the first place. Again, um, you know. Ricardo gets paid to hold a clipboard and drive a simulator while he gets to go off and do all the media stuff that he, he gets to do. And hey, maybe, just maybe, has an outside chance of an F1 seat on top of it. Um, if you really are that desperate to pull the plug on NDV now, then I guess. But, like, I still think you give the freeze the whole year. 
Like, I don't like this whole idea of of ruthless mid-season cuts. I don't like you're back to where you started again. If like like Ricardo's not driven one of these for half a season, let, like like Red Bull's been on the record saying that he's had to untangle bad habits in this simulator from his time at McLaren, where he was dreadful. Like. Are Except you sure? for one weekend in Italy, mind you. Apparently, yeah, yeah, you know, um, that was a good one. But and do you really want to pull Liam Lawson out of a mid-season Super Formula campaign where he's a genuine title contender? Like, I think that would be almost harsh on Lawson because Lawson would have to be spectacular to impress. Because I'd argue it's the worst car in Formula One right now. It's it's their bottom yeah, of the he's, he's championship. He's not continuing that uh, run of winning uh, in his first start in every single series. If he, if you plug him into that AlphaTauri right now, I'm gonna say that for real. No, and we've kind of hovered around the other argument here as well. What about Alex Pillow? <sighs> Look, not to sound like an uh, like an insecure IndyCar honk, but. <laughs> Alex Pillow is is the best chance that an IndyCar driver has had to step up into Formula One since Sebastian Bourdais did it off the back of four consecutive Champ Car World Series titles. And ever since Bourdais flamed out after a year and a half at Toro Rosso because he couldn't match up to Sebastian Vettel and he couldn't match up to Sebastian Buemi, everyone has had cold feet. Alex Polochix checks off every single box except for the fact that he's not American, but I don't even care. I'd love to see this dude get an opportunity to Formula One seat. I really would. I would too. Like, I mean, again, King, I'd love to hear what you think on this one as well, because uh, you, you missed it last week when we talked a little bit about Polo's F1 prospects. Like, how do you feel about the possibility of Polo going state cycles? We weighed up to basically three main options. One, he stays at chip. Two, he goes to McLaren and has an outside chance of an F1 seat at best, even though he's their reserve driver right now because of Oscar Piastri, and he's generally been very good this season. Yeah. And three, he goes all in, walks away from IndyCar, and tries to get a seat elsewhere. I mean, how do you weigh it up right now? Well, I think it's mainly going to be that that third option if he does decide to go to F1. Like, he's... There isn't really a way in at McLaren. Like, Piastri... It feels like Piastri seat is secure. If you really want a way in right now, it's most likely the Red Bull Avenue. This does feel like the best shot he's got. I'm not sure he'd want to do this for Williams, given where they are, and their prospects are a little better than what they've been, but still not great. Um, I don't... I don't see a lot of other holes opening up in the paddock by the end of the season. Like maybe outside chance of something at Alfa Romeo. But again, I think Joe's been fine this season. I don't think Bottas has been so bad to the point where you want to cut him. Um, The only driver that's really been like bad, like super, super bad in their respective seats has been Nick DeVries, but it's not like this is the worst driver that Formula One has seen in modern memory bad. It's just no, it's, a, it's the wrong driver at the wrong time. Yeah, and I think that's the worst thing you can say about the freeze. It's just, it's just not worked out. And to be fair, Yuki Tsunoda getting really good this year has absolutely done him dirty because there was question marks about Tsunoda going into this season as it is, um, given he was second fiddle to Pierre Gasly. And if anything, Gasly even probably saved him because 
Dr. Marco's the one guy that's even considered an IndyCar guy in recent history, and that was with yeah. the Colton Herter move, potentially. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't obviously get the FIA to tweak their super license rules to make that happen. But at least Dr. Marco has acknowledged that IndyCar is at least somewhat viable as a series. Zach Brown's kind of teased the idea, but never actually committed to anything. Yeah. Like, Dr. Marco was going to give Colton a go if he could tweak the rule book. And the FIA yeah. understandably wasn't prepared to who budge was on that. And who was in charge of Toro Rosso? And who was who had an influence in Toro Rosso's driver selection in two thousand and eight? One time, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's it it's it's a messy one right now for AlphaTauri, and I don't think there is a there, there is a huge like overwhelming need to to move anybody on. I, I say you, you give the freeze the whole season and it's, it's an easier reset. If you do replace him, you can give whoever's coming in a full off season to, you know, to, to try and at least prepare yourself for it. Yeah. Um, and I think Liam Lawson is a fine talent and I think he's, he's worthy of an F1 seat. And I, I think if this, the freeze continues to disappoint and you want to move on from as a one, as a one and done guy, I think Lawson would be a fine replacement, and I think that's the straightforward move. Um, although, and we'll talk about it a bit more in our next episode, yeah, the, the temptation over Alex Polo as a talent is um, <clears throat> tempting. Oh, oh goodness. V- very, very yeah. tempting. More, more on that next up. I but- agree. Um, yeah, and, you know, we can have this discourse around drivers, and we know that, like, Generally, like we have our fun, like discoursing about these drivers, but you know, at the end of the day, they all make it to the checkered flag, safe and sound, ready to continue on with their future career prospects. And that's always good, which is why it absolutely sucks when we have something like what happened uh, over this past weekend happen. Cause my God, what a, what a terrible, terrible story out of formula regional Amer- European championships at spa this weekend. Yeah, we lost uh, Delano Van Hoff, um, yeah, the the Dutch Spanish uh, Formula Four champion in 2021. He was a runner up in uh, the UAE in Formula Four in 2021 as well. Uh, this was just his third year of single seater racing in general. He was just 18 years of age, and um, he was in a horrible accident down the Kemmel Strait. Um, and yeah, uh, a lot of discourse regarding the incident, a lot of um, understandably emo- um, emotional perspectives that come about as a result of something like this. First and foremost, just another horrible, <clears throat> another horrible loss, loss of life. It's, it, it's, it, it doesn't get any easier talking about these on the show. And, you know, this is the second one in, at, at Spa in four years as well, because, we, I still think about Antoine Hubert and what he could have been um, if he was given the opportunities that life could have blessed him with. But um, it's, I'm not going to talk about it too much because um, it's, I, I'm still debating my head whether it's a little insensitive to talk about it because it's still only been, you know, a couple of days since. Um, it it's hard because like you talk about Spa, it's an iconic track. People love Eau Rouge, people love Radalon. It's already gone through a bunch of renovation. 
um, as is, um, and people are considering maybe taking it, taking that one one stage further, and maybe just removing that corner entirely. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about. It. I know like a lot of the F1 drivers were very emotional talking about. It. I know Lance Stroll made a, a, a almost like an emotional plea. After the spring. And credit to Lance Stroll. Like Lance Stroll, Lance Stroll, if you don't know, barely, barely ever talks to the press. You know, it's it it almost pains him to to go Mm. to these like post-race events. So this was like the most fired up that he's ever been. And and he's been in yeah, he's been in F1 seven years. I've never seen them open up emotionally like that about anything. Um, anything at all. And my personal stance is I think I don't necessarily think the track is the most responsible party in all of this. I genuinely, I get, I I talked about this on the show at Monza last year. I talked about it during 2021. It worries me how many series insist that we have to finish a race on the green. And the context of this race was, Almost, I'd actually argue, undrivable conditions, very similar to what the F1 race had at Spa a couple of years ago in 2021. And trying to finish a race with a two-lap sprint in those conditions, for me, was a poor decision. For me, it's a poor decision. Yeah, And, and for all intents and purposes, it was a restart crash. It happened literally just through the source and then the accident happened yeah just i've seen this pattern in motorsport across the board in the last half decade or so like i i i often say like a slide indoors moment was when f1 brought back the standing restart in 2018 and the restart in general is arguably the most dangerous part of a motorsport race in general across the board there was no good reason to bring that back apart from entertainment value if i've still not ever heard anyone give me another viable reason for that to exist because i don't think there is one and while that may not necessarily apply in this specific case it's it says to me the intent of what series are trying to do like the talk about Formula One in Australia earlier this season, that was the first F1 race that ever had three red flags. And the blatant effort to get a sprint finish, because if you remember the second red flag with Kevin Magnussen and the incident that brought out that red flag, that is not a red flag incident, not in the slightest. And they were determined to get a three lap sprint finish out. And, what was the greatest irony of that? The race finished under yellow anyway because they ran out of laps. Like I don't like this direction that motorsport is heading in, where for some reason finishing a race under yellow is the boogeyman, and and I I find that unsettling when we like it's one thing where it's F one, it's another thing where it's a junior series with literal children racing in these cars that do not have the experience and the expertise that most Formula One drivers, if not all F1 drivers, have. That's not the sort of series to experiment with decisions like this. And it it saddens and frustrates me that 
someone has to pass away before we have to have these conversations. Um, because we could have done it in Australia and that didn't really happen. It was more bullshit discourse comparisons to Abu Dhabi in 2021. And that, that is the, again, the, the great unspeakable race that has become the very speakable race because it's the yardstick for all bad F1 stuff. And here we are. And yeah. And it's like we race control their decision to do like to restart the race was just awful. Like we're not Freck has a massive field, like 30 plus cars. Right. It's a massive field. And they're running, they're running support to the 24 hours of Spa Frankershamp, which was, you know, hours away from starting. They, they, they could have just finished the race under a safety car. You would have had, you know, a still fulfilling result given the conditions and everybody would have gotten the checkered flag. Okay. And we wouldn't have had to do this. What, what a, what a terrible way to end, you know, a weekend that less than 24 hours ago, MP Motorsports team, the team that Delano Vantoff drives for was involved in what was at the time, one of the funniest incidents of the weekend where one of their team was ejected from a WhatsApp group for reacting to messages from race control with a clown emoji and a poo emoji. And yeah, God, I wonder, I, I wonder, I wonder what that, what the atmosphere in that group is like afterwards. God, I can't, I, I, I can't even begin to imagine. I, it's, it's awful. You like going through Delano's story, like he had his struggles in Formula Regional, but you know, keep in mind last year, he also missed a good chunk of racing with a shoulder injury. MP Motorsport could have cut bait with him at any time, but they chose to bring him back for this year. And he wanted to go, he wanted to go up to Formula 3 net season and continue his pursuit of racing, if not in Formula One, then some somewhere where he could have gone on to make, you know, an honest living as a racing driver for many, many years to come. And it sucks that he doesn't have that opportunity. It sucks that a family has lost a son, a child. It sucks that other people in the paddock have lost a friend. And I just, I don't know what else to say, man. Yeah, a a horrible loss of life, and yeah, just again, I, I just wish we as an entity, a a stakeholder in what we love in motorsport. I, I just wish, and I've said it many a time on this show, I just wish we were a little bit more proactive in having these dialogues and having these these hard conversations, because it always almost always seems to happen when the worst happens and i and i wish it it never got to that point um because like i said these announcements and these conversations they never get any easier but i think it's better we have them before something tragic happens rather than after and i've like i said i've read the tea leaves in many many different series i was like i enjoy many different series in motorsport and a lot of them have all leaned in that direction and i don't like it I don't like the way it's going. I don't like the, the this elusive, you know, hypothetical entertainment bag that these series keep chasing because they have to they have to, to go for the big grandstand finish when they don't have to. And and especially when it comes to compromising people's safety. That's the one thing you absolutely do not do in regards to to trying to put out the best product available it should never come at your competitor's expense and i feel like that's what's happened here and that is very very sad so yeah on behalf of everybody here at motorsport 101 uh, 
sincere condolences to his partner Katrina, the rest of his family and loved ones, um, MP Motorsport, and the extended Frecker Paddock. Just a horrible, horrible story. So rest in peace, Delano. We'll miss you. We'll be back next time on Motorsport 101 uh, for the British Grand Prix F1-wise. The next episode will be a little bit about uh, our, our American endeavors. We, we've got a lot of IndyCar to talk about in mid-Ohio. And you know, in brighter news, a very fun NASCAR race in Chicago and a, a very fun new winner and a, a, a very cool moment of history. So we'll get into that next time round. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Ryan Eric King. Until next time, take care.